Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 158. Today's episode is all about how to heal your heart from a breakup. The life cycle of emotion is 120 seconds. Anything longer is the story we attach to those emotions. And so allowing it to pass as a wave is healthy. It's feeling it. But feeding it is when we start to add stories to it, when we start to add to the addictive nature of wanting to feel sad or depressed or angry. Instead of allowing this emotional wave to pass, which it will, you then decide to pick up your phone and check out their IG story and the friends of friends IG stories. And then you see a photo that is questionable because they're having a picnic and there's another girl there. Oh, wait, is that a new person they're dating? Oh, is she prettier than me? Oh, how dare you do that? I'm in here crying. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends. First of all, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you're always updated about new episodes. Plus, you want to know basically the best way to give back to your favorite podcasts? actually go to the iTunes app and leave a five-star review. Reviews are scientifically proven to make me love you more. That's just how it is. I love you when you leave me a review. You sit in my heart for days at a time. No, but seriously, they really help the growth of the show. They're probably the number one thing that you can do besides supporting my sponsors or joining the membership. So it's an easy, free way to give back to a podcast you love. And if you do leave me a review, send it to me at mindlovemelissa on Instagram, and I'll send you a free meditation track. But now let's get to the good stuff. Why is it that breakups hurt so badly? Every relationship I had before I got married had a pretty painful breakup, sometimes excruciating. With most of them, we did that back and forth, breakup, get back together, waltz. And each time it became pretty clear why we broke up in the first place. I'm the type of person that when I do get that clarity, I'm just over it. Like feelings were gone and all. But there were also times that looking back, I should have had that clarity much sooner. Regardless of the reasons, breakups usually hurt really bad. And for me, they're a unique kind of pain, sometimes cutting deeper than things that should logically be more painful. Why is that? I think it's because it's hard not to take a breakup personally. If someone just doesn't want to be with me anymore, I can take that as I'm not desirable enough. Or if someone cheats, I tend to spiral into the comparison game. What does she have that I don't? Is she prettier than me? Does she turn them on more than I do? And then the visuals start. We have a tendency to base our value on feedback from the outside world. So rejection in a relationship can feel like rejection of who we are, rather than for what it is, just simply incompatibility. 
Plus, breakups can feel like more than losing a partner. It can feel like you're losing your friends, your routine, the future you've been imagining, maybe your identity, and sometimes even your living space or your dog or whatever else you've shared together. I remember wondering, how did I even get here in the first place? Am I just terrible at picking men? Are they terrible at picking me? Am I doing something wrong or am I putting too much of myself into these relationships? And then where do I go from here? And that last part is an important question because to make things even more complicated, it can be really hard to start trusting again or to be vulnerable and let your walls down because feeling this kind of pain again is definitely not on the priority list. So how do you start pulling yourself together when you feel like a broken mess? And how do you make sure that each relationship is a stepping stone to something better rather than just repeating the same mistakes over and over again? Well, that's what we're talking about today. And our guest is Amy Chan. Amy is the founder of Renew Breakup Bootcamp, a retreat that takes a scientific and spiritual approach to healing the heart. She's also the editor-in-chief of Just My Type, an online magazine that focuses on the psychology behind love, lust, and desire. And her book, Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart, was just released today. So three key things we will learn are how the story you're attaching to your breakup makes it that much more painful, the difference between feeling your emotions and feeding them, and how to set a new standard for love. But before we dive in, do you ever wish you could start each day with a little message from your higher self? Just sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational messages right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how the Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start their day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. It's kind of like your own personal inspiration oracle. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do, like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal power lists to help you gain clarity and live each day with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Amy Chan to the show. Thank you. So first, tell me a little bit about you and what inspired your newest book, because I mean, really, I guess I'm asking, what's your breakup story? Because I know it must have been a doozy if it led to, (laughs) if it inspired this whole book and a life focus. Yeah, my name is Amy Chan. I'm an ex-love addict and uh, heartbreak fanatic. And now I'm like in a much better place. But it took me a really long time and a crazy journey to get to where I am, which is today I am the founder of uh, Renew Breakup Bootcamp. We take a scientific and spiritual approach to healing the heart. And my book, uh, Breakup Bootcamp, has just come out with HarperCollins. Uh, That's on the science of rewiring your heart. And it really is the tried and tested tools that we've now had hundreds of women learn and apply in their lives, whether they're been newly broken up with or or single. Um, And it weaves in personal narratives of myself and of the women who have come through the boot camp um, in this book. So why 
were you so torn up about love? What was going on that, I don't know, I think so many of us experience our, especially our, our first relationships are just so unhealthy and they're, they're either codependent or there's just so many different things wrong with them. I can totally relate to that, by the way. Why is that? Why are we so, does it seem like we're naturally wired to not be wired for a good relationship? Great question. I now, in retrospect, understand why I've spent decades being heartbroken. But at the time, I had no idea. I thought it was very normal, my experience. And since a very young age, I've been really obsessed and preoccupied with love and the attention from guys and getting into relationship. Heck, I think I've been dating to marry since I've been like 12 years old. And later on, through research and therapy, understand that this this is textbook love addiction. Um, but I didn't know there was a problem because that was my norm. 80% of my waking hours, my thoughts, my issues were all about getting a guy to like me, getting over someone who didn't like me. There was always this obsession and rumination about relationships. And it was really challenging for me. I didn't understand what was wrong with me because at that time I thought there was something wrong with me because I was able to achieve in my life in other areas. I was doing well in school. I climbed the corporate ladder, but when it came to matters of the heart, I seemed to always get it wrong. I seemed to always end up in heartbreak. So I spent my career studying the psychology behind love, lust, and attraction. And it was really a breakup, a really traumatic one. This was, you know, the person I thought who was the one. And I thought I was going to marry this person. And my whole life plan was set out for me. And that breakup ended pretty traumatically through infidelity and when that fell apart, I fell apart. And that is really the catalyst of why I started the world's first breakup boot camp. And now I write about it and I talk about it. And so all of that long story is to say, often when we grow up without a healthy model of what love looks like and feels like, and in my household, it was definitely not healthy, a very unavailable father. And I learned at a young age that you need to earn love. Um, human beings like what is familiar. And so when we grow up, what do you think happens? We recreate the same scenario of the crime. Our psyche subconsciously tries to change its ending, thinking that if we just tried hard enough, if we were just more giving, more nurturing, then maybe we would earn that love we never received when we were young. It's interesting because I've gone through a good amount of loss and, and different traumas in my life. It's part of why I do what I do now, because you tend to help people through the things that were hardest for you. But what I find really interesting is I can look back at a couple of my breakups and there's something about that pain that is so much deeper. I even feel almost guilty saying this or like a bad person for saying this, but I cried harder when I broke up with this this one relationship I had that was just about a year. And it's funny because I was already planning on breaking up with him. And then he, <laughs> I like was avoiding him. I was only going over there to sleep. I just didn't really like a lot of things about him. But then he broke up with me first and I felt so devastated. And I remember going to a yoga class to try to get over it. And I was in, or just to do something to get out of my house. And I was lying in Shavasana and all of a sudden I start like bawling my eyes out. 
And I remember laying there and thinking, this hurts more than when I my dad died. And mm. it was this moment for me where I'm like, but there's no way I cared about this person more than I cared about my dad. Why is that? And I'm wondering, why do you think that breakups tend to penetrate so deep? Yeah, great question. I think breakups can penetrate so deeply and take you to a point of such devastation, sometimes more than even grieving the loss of someone you love, like a family member. Um, it's a different type of pain because sometimes it's a band-aid that's being ripped off of, of old wounds. And what I realized when I went through my breakup was I wasn't just mourning the end of that relationship. It was this band-aid that got ripped off and there was all this compound trauma of other heartaches and wounds that I never really healed, nor did I know that I have. And that's when our brain also can go into primal panic. And research shows that when we go through uh, a breakup and we feel that sense of rejection, it can actually really uh, trigger a state of survival in you as if you're going to die. Because back in Back in the hunter-gatherer days, if you were rejected from the group, that could mean death. And so even though we've evolved and now we're living in high rises and we have, you know, fast internet connection, our hardwire, our, our brains are still operating uh, like they were back in the hunter-gatherer days. It doesn't understand that a breakup or a bad email from your boss doesn't mean you're going to die, but you're still getting this kind of reaction in the nervous system. And so I think your question on you know, the, the grief felt very different from when you grieved the, a death versus a relationship is sometimes there a death is there's a finality to it. It's not something that you're questioning about yourself. There's no, nothing you're taking personally. There's something that happened and you mourn that. But when a relationship ends and someone ends it with you, then there's another flurry of not only mourning the relationship, but then you're like, did I do something? Is something wrong with me? Am I unworthy of love? And then all these other stories compound and it creates this bigger, darker, deeper thing. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. 
But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. That makes a lot of sense. And and I think we also tend to lose parts of ourselves in relationships where we might not do that as much with other family members. Like, for example, a lot of the process in moving away from your parents and getting older is creating an identity separate from them. Whereas when you're in a relationship, you start to build a future with them. And I remember that one relationship, the the reason that we even lasted as long as we did, even though we were completely incompatible, is because I liked his friends and his lifestyle was fun. And I was still sort of new to LA. And so it was just easy to kind of dive right into his life. And so instead of just losing that relationship, I was losing my social circle, my daily activities, my gym, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, you're you're losing all these things, right? And the future that you're now not going to have. So those those times that you fantasized about, I don't know, maybe that trip to Mexico, or maybe there's that great barbecue you're going to have every weekend with the cool friends, like all of that's now poof, it's gone. And so yeah, you're mourning so many different layers. One of the things that you say in your book is I was looking through it and and you were talking about a lot of the people that come to the breakup, they seem to be or they claim to be so surprised about the breakup. But when you start to dig deeper, you discovered that it wasn't really that shocking most of the time. There are normally signs. What's going on there and why do we tend to forget that there were all these signs, kind of like in my case, <laughs> kind of like I forgot how I was actively choosing the words to break up with this guy. And suddenly I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm rejected. This isn't what I expected at all. What's happening there? Human beings are prone to a lot of what's called uh, cognitive distortions, the slang word being thinking traps. And confirmation bias is one of them. Confirmation bias is when we have an idea or a story or a belief that we want to believe in. And this belief might not even be one that serves you, but we have a belief that we think is true. And what happens is we zone in and find all the information that will feed that belief. And we will zone out everything else that says something else. And so it's important to understand such thinking traps so that when they happen, you can say, oh, wait a minute, this is, is this a cognitive distortion? Is this confirmation bias at play? Because that is what happens with a lot of the women that I work with. They say, oh my gosh, I totally am so blindsided. He cheated. He ghosted me. He rejected me. And yeah, when we peel back the layers, there were signs. There were always signs from that gut feeling that was ignored to that anxiety that just came and you knew something was a little bit off and they were acting a bit weird, but then you rationalized it away. Or that terrible fight when your partner said some terrible toxic things to you, but then the next day love bomb you and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to stay because I can't imagine a future without this person. There are signs, but the problem is we're not looking. And when we see them, we choose to just ignore them. So say we are, we find ourselves in that puddle on the floor, we're crying our eyes out, you know, we're like having a really hard time moving on. 
where do we go from there? We hear that time heals all. But then um, usually, though, in healing any sort of trauma or loss, I have found that it takes more than just time. There's some sort of decision that you have to make to go along with it. So I'm curious what your process is to start moving forward and to let go of this past. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Time does not heal all wounds. Doing the work to heal the wounds heals the wounds. And this is a complicated process. It requires looking deep into the reasons why you got to a place where you felt like the rug was ripped out from underneath you, why you felt like you were completely broken. And so the intensity of the emotions will subside. And that is, you know, after a certain period of time, what I see is usually in the five to eight week mark, that emotional intensity start to minimize and you realize like, okay, I can get out of bed again, but you might still be caught in a rumination spiral, a lot of anger or resentment. And that's also very normal. There's stages of separation that are very similar to the stages of grief. And it starts with shock, then it's denial. And this is really your body's way of actually helping you from getting too overwhelmed from this new reality without your partner. After denial comes sadness. After sadness is anger. And anger is actually a helpful stage. Anger is energy moving. This is when uh, instead of being apathetic, you start to maybe get angry and blame either the world or your ex or even yourself. And it might seem destructive, but at least this is energy moving and it's giving you some momentum to start to set yourself up for like, okay, what can I do about this? Now, the stage that people don't really talk about is there's also a sneaky little stage called relapse. And this is very similar to denial. And this is when we go back into, hmm, well, was it that bad? Or maybe makeup sex is, is going to be okay, okay, just this one time. Or you're like, it's harmless to check their social media. That's fine. Maybe I'm just going to text them. It's the COVID-19. Just say, hey, are you okay? Because do you really care if they're they're okay? No, you're, you're just trying to put out a line, right, and see if they're going to catch it. And this relapse stage is where a lot of people get caught up in. And you may need to go back together and break up and, you know, repeat the cycle a few times until you hit this tipping point and you say enough, this is enough suffering. I cannot take it anymore. And really after that is when you get to a stage of acceptance and acceptance doesn't mean that all is forgiven and, you know, you're totally back and ready to go dating again. Acceptance means that you're now understanding, okay, this happened. I take accountability for my part. And now I'm going to focus my energy on what I need to do to move forward. And there is no quick and easy way out of the stages. You actually need to go through all of the stages. However, it's not linear. So you might bounce back from stage to stage, but it does always start with shock and it always ends in acceptance if you complete the cycle of the stages of separation. I can relate to that relapse stage just so much. It's so funny looking back at like past relationships. And I I do think that most people have the unhealthy relationships, even if they came from a good family, because they're just figuring shit out, like trying to mm -hmm. figure out how to be a human in a relationship or to share your life with somebody. But it's funny because that one breakup I was talking about that was not like 
wasn't that intense of a relationship, but it for some reason was such an intense breakup for me. But there were so many different factors. And one of the reasons, I think, is because even though we weren't that compatible, it was the healthiest relationship I had had up until that time. And the relationships before that, that back and forth happened the whole time. It's like it happened until I was just over it and I wanted nothing to do with it, (laughs) you know? But I thought that's how breakups happened, you know? Like we, you shared such a significant part of each other's life. Like you can't just cut ties. And this relationship that last one was like, he was just so healthy, even about the breakup. He's like, well, I just think that we should have no contact at all. (laughs) And to me, it kind of felt callous, but I'm like, no contact. And I remember searching for some sort of help because I just felt so devastated and alone in the city where I didn't know that many people. And so I bought a book called, it's called a breakup because it's broken. And it recommended to have three months of zero contact. And so Mm -hmm. then suddenly I just tried to reframe it. And I'm like, we're not not talking because he told me we're not talking. We're not talking because I'm doing three months of no contact. And I swear after about two months, I felt so clear. And then after three, it was like, I was just completely over it. And now I always recommend to my friends, I'm like, try to just like, cut off contact and get clear headed before you make any decisions. Yeah, that's a super smart move that you did. And there is science behind why there is this kind of golden rule of no contact for say three months. And that is when you're with someone you have neural pathways that have been wired together and your body is used to getting hits of dopamine and oxytocin. These are the feel good chemicals, right? Every time you hug and kiss, even when you fight and and make up, you're getting these hits of dopamine. So after a separation, even on a cognitive level, you know that the relationship is over. Your body is like, what the fuck's going on? Your body's like, give me that dopamine. I want it right now. And if you're not getting it from the relationship, it's going to whisper in your ear and say, check their social media. Just check, just check this one time. And really that is your brain's way of trying to get that fix of dopamine. And so the only way for those neural pathways to weaken is for you to detox from the ex. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, you got to get them out of your life for a period of time so those neural pathways can prune away. That makes a lot of sense. And and I actually, there's something about the neural pathways actually, pathways actually wiring together that's just really, really fascinating. I also think that in my mind, the ability to reframe that story of he's not cutting me off. I'm cutting him off Mm. (laughs) also felt really empowering. And I know one of the things that you talk about, there's a a big quote that just stood out to me in your book because I feel like it, it really applies to all healing or so many other things in life outside of breakups in general. And it's that I can't change the history, but I can choose to change the story I attach Mm. to those events. So can you talk a little more about that? Yeah, I, I really came to that conclusion about two years of my breakup the reason why I started breakup bootcamp and the, while the emotional intensity had subsided and I was already dating other people and stuff, I still had a closed heart. I still carried around with me resentment and bitterness because he cheated on me. And there was this one time I was having a conversation, catching up with a friend who I hadn't seen since the breakup. And I was retelling that story of, Oh my gosh, he did this to me. And can you believe he did that to me? 
And he just stopped me. He said, so, Amy, does this story serve you? And I'm like, uh, no. And he's like, can you tell me another time, like, when he was supportive and there was love and kindness? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, tell me some examples. And, and as I started to recall some of the positive memories, that's when I realized that in my, in my darkness, I was doing that confirmation bias thing. I wanted to see him as the villain of my story. And I was going to remember only the stories that would make him the villain. And that wasn't serving me. And so I say that quote in the book it, that you cannot change the events of your history, but you can choose to change the story you attach to those events. And I was no longer going to position him as a villain and me as the victim because that was disempowering. And I think that we can apply that tool of reframing so many different events of our lives, whether, you know, the breakup with a friend or getting fired from a job or the relationship that ended. What is a story you're creating out of that event? Because we are a product of our stories. And also, our memories are not facts. And in my version of retelling the memories, I was changing the memory every single time. Every time you recall a memory, you change it. And so if I was telling that story every single time about being the victim um, and what an asshole he was, every single time I was adding another layer of darkness, of anger. And that story went from person cheated on me, apologized profusely, we weren't made to be, you know, we weren't a good fit, you know, the facts of the story into this full on trilogy of this terrible person that was like the devil, right? So I think we need to be so careful about these narratives that we're letting run the programming of our lives. I totally feel that because I've been there before. I've done that exact same thing. And it's tricky, though, because it feels in the moment, if you don't think it all the way through, that that is empowering because it's like, I didn't do this. That person did it. I'm not taking the blame for this, you know, but it's not really because you're creating the belief that you're the type of person that puts up with a relationship that does all that for that long and is completely blindsided and is planning a future with a monster. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. And did you have that experience where when you talked about it with your friends, did like, did the friends go like, yeah, what a jerk? Or did, did that hate fest rally happen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Which yeah. then just grounds it in even more. And then I'm like, Wait, you guys all saw this and you let me go through? <laughs> it like creates layers upon layers of beliefs. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? 
It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. Yeah, and I think it happens often. Our, our friends and our family, they have great intentions, they love us, but they're not equipped to give us advice. And especially when we're hurting, sometimes people connect on pain. And so when you're hurting, it might feel easy to peg someone as a victim, right? Uh, peg, peg you as a victim of the story, this person as a villain, maybe they pathologize him and say, what a narcissist, what a sociopath. And then suddenly there's this rabbit hole of, of anger and hatred. And it might feel good in the moment, like you're eating junk food, but it ultimately just increases and magnifies the emotional charge. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy in your process of grieving and mourning this relationship and focusing your energy towards your future. Yeah, I call that like, it's like the addictive sort of feel good. It's like a heroin kind of feel good. You know, it's like, it, you think it feels good, but it's not good for you at all. And you're actually creating this this habit of emotion inside of you, which is really slippery, I think. I think a lot of us get used to getting in the depths of our emotions and then we're just used to feeling that way. So then that's what we're noticing and that's what we're focusing on and that's what we're bringing into other conversations and into other relationships because we become addicted to that one way of feeling. But it's interesting too because I know that feeling your feelings is such a critical part of processing them. It took me years to realize that after years of numbing out all my feelings, but it's a slippery slope. And so what is the difference between feeling your emotions and feeding them? And how can we avoid that emotional spiral? Great question. 
especially after a breakup or something traumatic, it is very normal to feel an entire range of emotions. And it is so important that we allow ourselves the time and the gentleness and the self-compassion to feel them. And instead of labeling an emotion as good or bad, because I think we're socialized to believe we should be happy all the time. And this is just not realistic. And if you numb yourself from feeling the hard emotions, you're going to numb yourself from feeling the high emotions. So there is a difference, though, from feeling them and feeding them. Feeling them is you feel sadness. You give yourself um, time to cry, to journal how you feel, to try to make sense of what you're feeling and where it is in the body. Feeding them is then putting on Coldplay, Fix You, on repeat, and <laughs> then staring at old photos and then looking on their Instagram and who they just uh, followed and then stalking those accounts, right? There's such a difference because one just prolongs that emotion longer and longer and feeding it is also adding stories, right? So when you're feeding the emotion of, say, anxiety, right? It's fine. You're, you're feeling some anxiety after the breakup. Of course, that's totally normal. But instead of allowing this emotional wave to pass, which it will, the emotion's not going to stay in your body forever. Instead of allowing it to pass through your body, you then decide to pick up your phone and check out their IG story and the friends of friends IG stories. And then you see a photo that is questionable because they're having a picnic and there's another girl there. Oh, wait, is that a new person they're dating? Oh, is she prettier than me? Oh, how dare you do that? I'm in here crying. And, and then it goes and it goes. And that emotion, the life cycle of emotion is 120 seconds. Anything longer is the story we attach to those emotions. And so allowing it to pass as a wave is healthy. It's feeling it. But feeding it is when we start to add stories to it, when we start to add to the addictive nature of wanting to feel sad or depressed or angry. I always share that part of my healing or part of the how I've basically dug myself out of the rock bottom that I hit at one point in my 20s was just... I started to leave what I call kind of little ropes for myself, for my higher self. And it's because when I was in a low state, I realized that it was almost impossible to choose something that was going to move me out of that state. It's like we want to choose anything that's just going to maintain that low vibration. And so mm -hmm. when I was feeling good, I would write these lists of like, okay, well, a walk makes me feel, feel really good. Calling this friend makes me feel really good. Call this friend in this situation. Call this friend in this situation. And so then I would make myself look at that list. I called it my power list when I was in a really low state and be like, well, what do I want to do right now? Okay, I'm not going to do that, go to the list and just pick one as terrible as it sounds to do. And I would find that when I did it, I'd actually feel better. But it's just so interesting how we do tend to want to feed that, that feeling inside of ourselves. And it really goes to show how so much of the breakups or the relationship problems, we want to blame it on the relationship or on the other person. But I think 
at the core, it goes back to our own inner work, how we, the significance or the meaning that we placed on that relationship, whether or not we decided to put our full life purpose within that container of the relationship. And, mm. and so much of it is just about stop thinking about the breakup or the person or what you did wrong there and start to think, how can I rebuild myself? Or who was I when I went into that relationship? And what allowed me to become this crumble of a mess at the end of it? And how can I just be stronger for the next one? So I'm curious, how do you go about that that process of really figuring out even why it happened in the first place based on your own inner self? Yeah, you've raised many great points. And, and one of them is often we're asking the wrong question after a breakup. And you said it beautifully. We are focusing on the other person and what they did. Instead of looking at, wait, how did I get to this position? When someone tells me, I feel like the rug has been ripped out from underneath me, I'm completely broken. And hey, I used to say this too. And I would say like, I would blame and I would point my fingers. And after enough falling down and getting back up, I noticed that the common denominator was my patterns. And I think people need to have that aha moment where they say, wait a minute, there's a trend happening here. There's a pattern. And, and that creates that curiosity to start digging. It's hard to teach someone that life force energy to want to go within and reflect. And that's why I actually interview people before they even come to the breakup bootcamp retreat, because not everyone's ready to go. I'm looking for people who have hit a tipping point and they finally realize, wait, there's something going on here and there's a pattern and I'm going to do something about it. It's not just about the X. And so I think the very first step is really getting clear on what are the patterns, because it can be tricky. The types of people that you might be dating and getting into relationships with might look very different. The package might look very different. But what you want to look at is, is the emotional experience the same? Because usually there's a common thread, right? Are you chasing someone for attention? Are you always the one who's wanting more love and more connection and someone's pulling away? Are you constantly the one who's feeling like you're suffocated in love and someone's going to take your independence away, right? The people might look very different, but what is that emotional experience? And once you can understand, okay, this emotional experience keeps repeating, then you have a window to look at, okay, what is the belief system that is causing this emotional experience to repeat? And that takes a process, right? There's not this one thing. And I think it's a combination of not just talk therapy. I think talk therapy is great, but you might know everything on a cognitive level, but it's not aligning with what's happening on a subconscious level. And so you might say, I want a relationship. I'm open for love. But you find that your emotional experience is that you keep dating people who are unavailable, who live across the country and don't want a relationship. And you're like, I, you know, it's not me. It's, it's dating in my city or it's these, these apps suck right now. But something is misaligned. If your outcomes consistently aren't matching what you say you want, there is a misalignment with what's going on in your conscious mind and in your subconscious mind. So what are the ways that we start to transform these beliefs? And and do they change over time? Because I have looked into attachment styles and it's interesting because I found that 
in all my relationships in my earlier years, I was definitely that anxious, really codependent type mm-hmm. for about the first eight months. And then about eight months in, I would turn into avoidant, like I needed my independence. I needed to do my own thing. <laughs> yeah. And and it's funny though, because then it almost felt like after that last one, the one that for some reason the breakup was so hard for me, maybe it's that I did do the inner work. But when I finally met my husband, I was not any of those things. Oh. So I'm curious, how do we go about either consciously or subconsciously changing the beliefs that are driving us? Yeah, attachment theory is a big one. And and for those of you listening who don't know what attachment theory is, basically by around the age of two to three years old, we develop a way of attaching that directly translates to how we attach to our most intimate partners as adults. And there's three main types, secure, which is not afraid of intimacy, also not codependent, a very healthy attachment style. That's what we really aim for. And then there's anxious where you have a fundamental fear of being abandoned or rejected. And then there's avoidant, which is a subconscious suppressing of attachment system. So when someone gets too close, um, you subconsciously push them away. And there's a fundamental fear that intimacy means that you will lose your freedom and autonomy. And yes, your attachment style can change. And it also depends on the stage of life you're in and also um, who you're with. So in your case, when you're brand new to LA and maybe you have more of an anxious attachment style in the past, you might've been with someone and if he was avoidant, that could have brought out a lot more of the anxiety in you. Um, it might've been different if you were living in a city that you're really established in, you had great friends, everything felt very um, you know, safe for you and you had all the resources, you might not have felt as anxious. So I think it really depends on the stage of life you're in and who you're with. When you are dating a more secure partner, this is one of the best ways to become more secure yourself. Because if you're anxious, when you are feeling this like, oh my gosh, am I gonna, does he like me, does he not like me? A secure person is likely more able to handle the ups and downs and those pulls for connection and your anxiety spirals even versus someone who's an avoidant who who will be like, oh my God, get away from me, you're suffocating me. But anxious are drawn to avoidance and vice versa. So there's many different tools to, um, to start to change your attachment style to become more secure. One is choosing secure partners. Another is learning different ways of how to self-soothe. Um, if you're an avoidant, doing little practices of strengthening connection and and being able to communicate your boundaries because what avoidance tend to do is there is almost a guilt or a fear of expressing boundaries and limits so instead of saying anything they kind of let things build up until they explode and then they're like oh my god get away from me you're so needy so there's looking at the certain behavior and shifting that and then on a deeper inner level shifting your relationship to safety and connection because whether you're avoidant or you're an anxious this is um, a challenge you're having with intimacy and connection so say we allow ourselves the process of feeling all the feelings we go through the stages we get the courage to look inward and really figure out what how we were creating this situation where do we go from there? How do we start to set a new standard for love and attract the type of person that is going to be good for us or the type of relationship that's 
going to be a good fit and that's that we're going to be able to enter into in a healthy way? Yeah, great question. I think that heartbreaks are so necessary for us to understand what we don't want. And after that, we have to get real proactive with what we do want. And too often we become slaves to chemistry and this isn't our fault. Chemistry feels really good. We get that dopamine and you want to chase it. Also the storylines we're told since we're really young is that love is lust and we confuse it too. We confuse intimacy with love. We confuse crazy butterflies in your stomach with love, but it's not. And part of this process of creating healthy love is shifting what your expectations of love and partnership look like. Because if you're constantly looking for someone who's going to give you this crazy rush of excitement, you're going to be sorely disappointed partner after partner. But if you start to understand that partnership is peaceful, partnership and love is not something where you're angst-ridden all the time, where you're chasing someone to notice you, to want to invest in you. And so part of what I really encourage people to do is to get really clear on the values. What are the values that you want? Because it might look very different than this list that you've created either on paper or in your head, right? Oftentimes we have this list. We want them to have a height requirement. We want them to wear skinny jeans and we want them to have a chiseled jawline, whatever is on the list. A lot of the times they're superficial. A lot of the times it's like a shopping cart versus focusing, how do we want to feel? What are the values that are going to be the glue of compatibility that's going to be there when the lust wears out? Because research shows between eight months to 24 months, the lust, that chemical cocktail that we all see in movies, it fades. And what are you left with then? It's compatibility. And so get clear. What are the top values to your, to you? What are your top 10 values? And that's a great starting point of the values that are going to be important for you in looking for a partner. And the next time when you are getting to know someone and your chemistry soulmate alarm bells are going off in full force, but you notice right away that there's some major value differences. Maybe you believe in monogamy and they don't. Okay, that might be an indicator to be like, okay, chemistry, I know you're going real hard right now, but this isn't a green light. It's a red light because you don't need to invest another three years, right? You can invest three dates and say there's chemistry, but there's not compatibility. I'm not going to invest any further. And it takes time. You, if, Especially if you've had a history of dating people who you've had crazy chemistry with, but who are toxic for you, you're not going to go from high, high, low, low to a steady, loving, supportive relationship because human beings like what is familiar. If your familiarity, your model of love, your homeostasis is one of chaos, your chemistry compass is going to point you in the direction of people who can wound you the exact same way. And so you need to actually build up your reserve for what does healthy love and support feel like. And so be open to dating different types of people, people that you might think, nope, not my type, mm, not my height requirement, not my age requirement, and just be open and don't go on dates thinking, are you the one? Are you my soulmate? Just go. And your only goal is to have a good time, see if there's connection and if you can build rapport and you don't even need to 
know if there's romantic chemistry because a lot of the times your brain hasn't processed romantic chemistry. All you need to know is, am I having a good time? Do I want to see you again? If that's there, that means there's chemistry. Is it platonic chemistry or romantic chemistry? You don't know yet. It takes time to reveal itself sometimes. Yeah, I... I get so bothered when I have friends who are like, yeah, but the highs are just so good. And so, yeah, we have really low lows or they almost they think that the roller coaster makes the relationship good because there's a a greater range of emotions involved. And I'm Mm -hmm. just like, I used to feel that I I get where you're coming from. But it's so interesting. I feel very grateful to have found somebody that feels like he just fits me so well, like somebody Mm -hmm. who just understands me. And one thing I attribute to it, I did definitely think he was cute when I first met him, but we were both trying to just be friends because we met through another friend. We didn't want to muddle the friendship circle, but we ended up hanging out like every day for 10 days straight or something like that. And then we just couldn't deny that there was something there. And wow, we didn't have the whole, like there was nothing in the relationship about like, well, should this, should we be together? Should we not? It was just like then we were and we neither of us had ever wanted to get married and it changed our views on that we never wanted kids it changed our views on that and so I just want my friends to find that so bad and or to understand that there is something else out there it might not look exactly the same but if you are in pain as much as you are happy (laughs) or even more (laughs) then it's probably not that great of a relationship you you could probably find somebody who's not going to have you on like this addictive emotional roller coaster for the rest of your life yeah I totally agree and the hard thing is when you don't know any different experience you think that's the norm right And it's amazing that you are in this secure, loving, supportive relationship. And I'm, you know, finally in a really secure and loving partnership as well. But I didn't know that this existed. I thought that it should be high and low. And maybe that's part of the mystery. And and now I realize, like, wow, that was not love at all. Now I'm like, okay, my relationship, I know he loves me. I know he's got my back. And maybe you can call that boring. But there's a there's a knowing like it's in my body. It's not a cognitive thing. I just know I feel secure in it. And so my mind isn't just running and spinning. I'm like, does he like me? Does he not love me? Is he going to leave me? And I can spend my time creating things. Yeah, I was just telling a friend because she was going through a breakup. It's like I know relationships take work. But it shouldn't be work to stay in it. It should be work to figure out how to be the best partners for each other. And so I find that that's, that's another thing where people justify that they hear, well, relationships take work. And I'm like, but not like just to be in it, like not like breaking up and getting back together or wondering if he likes you or, or he's playing games now and now you're playing games. Like that isn't the type of work you should be looking for. It should be like, okay, well now how do we come together to communicate better? How can we build our futures based on our own values? How can we have our independence while also nurturing this relationship? Like that's the type of work that I see relationships taking rather than the whole like, oh my gosh, this just feels so hard the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a really healthy, uh, you know, you have a very healthy understanding of of what love and partnership is. It sounds like you two have really learned how to communicate and work through conflict together. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm just always so, so grateful for mm. just the person that I, I brought into my life. But I do think that 
it was a reflection of the work that I had been doing before that. And so with for anybody out there listening, thinking, well, I'm looking for the relationship to save me. That's not how you fix your life. And that's something that I had to learn pretty intensely because that's why half my relationships were toxic. I was looking for somebody to sweep me out of my life and just right into theirs. And then wondering why I felt broken and incomplete. And I just never felt empowered in my own life. And so then Mm. by the time I met my husband, I wasn't looking for a relationship. I felt complete and whole. And this was just a good addition. So for listeners out there that are interested in learning more about you and your breakup boot camp process, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? Yeah, you can check out renewbreakupbootcamp.com and you can follow me on Instagram at Miss Amy Chan and my book, Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart is out in bookstores and online. All of the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 158. So today your challenge is dependent on where you are in the process. If you've recently gone through a breakup, Start by just checking in with how you feel. And maybe take a moment over the next week to do an honest assessment of how you showed up in the relationship. The more you play the blame game or replay all the past events over and over again, the more you're just giving your power away to the past. Instead, ask yourself who you were when you went into the relationship, who you were when you were in the relationship, who you are coming out of it, and who you want to be moving forward. And then put all that aside and start to think about your future. What do you want to call in? What is the perfect man for you? And don't think about that ex. Start to lay out the characteristics of the person that you think would be an ideal fit in your life. Not all the superficial things like the chiseled jawline and the rock hard abs, although those are a plus and not the type of person that you feel like is gonna be the most impressive to your friends or to your family or on paper. Write down the type of person that will make you feel most like yourself. A lot of people feel the pressure to show up as the perfect version of themselves, but guess what? You are the perfect version of yourself. You just need to express yourself as such. So for me, I need a man who's gonna let me be silly, who's going to embrace my emotions and allow me to express them and be there for me when I need him to. I need someone who wants to be active like I do, who has a bit of the entrepreneurial spirit, or at least knows how to support me in mine. I wanted a man who knew how to treat women and who had a sense of humor. Those were the things that were really important to me. And when I got clear on them, Actually, it's more like when I got clear on who I was and started showing up in the world as that version of me, that's when I attracted my perfect person. So even more important than outlining your ideal partner is outlining exactly how you want to show up in the world and then matching your partner to that. And it's a process. Don't think you need to have it perfect right away. This is something that you continue to learn about yourself every single day, through every relationship, through every friendship, through every life experience. And through this process, just keep reminding yourself that you are already perfect and worthy and beautiful. 
If this episode was helpful for you, please share it, whether you take a screenshot and tag it on Instagram at mindlovemelissa and mindlovepodcast, or you can just press that little share button and send it straight to a friend who you think could use it most. Both of those ways are really great ways to share the podcast. And if you really want to help out, leave a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help the growth of the show. It really does help more than you know. So just those few minutes can entirely make my day and make you my official favorite person. So as always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into Your Higher Frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 